Welcome to episode 132 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic, and it's earnings season, so I'm going to talk about a couple of infrastructure providers, a mobile network operator and an infrastructure provider. I want to start with AT&T. So earnings broke this week, and it was quite impressive. The company continues to report subscriber ads as well as fiber growth, but there were two particular nuggets that I found really interesting within the, uh, the release. One, TNT reported that it is continuing to deliver on its mid-band 5G spectrum deployment, and that actually now they're covering 150 million, which is two times higher than its original end of 2022 target. And we've talked about mid-band spectrum, best balance of performance and coverage, and AT&T is really executing against the building out those particular assets. The other thing that I found compelling is that Sue Merrick actually wrote about this week that John Stanky has stated that there's going to be a renewed focus on fixed wireless access services. And this is going to be what they refer to as a copper catch plan, which is an attempt to move people off of older connectivity technology onto newer connectivity technologies. I was expecting maybe a focus on business or a renewed focus on business. That's historically where AT&T has focused its FWA service. But I think this is a brilliant strategy. There weren't a lot of details that were shared. It's probably very early stages here, but I do think it's a brilliant strategy to move people off of copper onto a more modern connectivity option. And I'm sure, Anshul, you caught the news this week. Any additional insights you want to provide? Not really that much. I think it's just that TNT focusing on connectivity, a shocker, they did better financially. I think TNT, with their strategy around divesting from content and making sure that they have the right strategy in place for their connectivity, I don't know, it's paying dividends. It's a huge shocker. And I think it may be a bit of a lesson for someone like a Verizon, where maybe they also made some mistakes in their strategic plans. And maybe we'll talk yeah. about that later on. I think we might as well. I'll also add, I'm going to take a victory lap. I talked about my predictions article last week on the podcast, and I pointed to the possibility of fixed wireless access momentum building this year, probably nothing surprising to our viewers and listeners, but this just echoes my prediction. I did predict that that we would see some momentum from AT&T, and thank you, Mr. Stanky, for making that prediction a reality just a week later. But let's move to your first topic, and you want to talk about Verizon and Razor. Yeah, so I think I've talked about this in previous podcasts. Verizon is the launch partner with Razor. Uh, I think they're the exclusive launch partner, actually. This is a 5G handheld gaming device, purpose-built for 5G gaming. So it's the first in the world like it. And Verizon is the first carrier to deploy it. The interesting part is this is also running Qualcomm's first G gaming-specific uh, chip, the G3X. And it has a 6.8-inch screen, which is actually the same size as a very high-end smartphone, like a Galaxy Note Ultra. Or sorry, mm -hmm. Samsung Galaxy S22 Ultra, same phone now. And it's an interesting device because it's the first one to really do this. And Verizon is offering it for $399, I think, for the Wi-Fi only version. So there is a Wi-Fi only version if you don't want 5G. The yeah. 5G version is $599, so it's a $200 price delta for that modem. 
yeah. which is tough for some people to accept. And I think the biggest mistake I think Verizon is making with this device is that they are charging 30 bucks a month for the 5G plan for it. They are offering, however, a 90-day promotional period where you don't have to pay for it. So I think that's good because it's going to be a good way for them to get people addicted to the service and being able to game everywhere anytime. I do think this device probably would be more successful later in the year when Verizon's 5G network coverage and speeds are much better. But right. I can tell you somebody who uses Verizon every day, their, their ultra wideband network is permeating in more places, um, but it's still not ubiquitous like T-Mobile's. Yeah. or even AT&T's. Well, actually, I think AT&T and Verizon are a little bit more on par in terms of coverage, but for mid-band at least. But I think it's not quite where T-Mobile is yet. And I think T-Mobile's two-year two lead is obviously a, a factor in that. But overall, it's a really cool device. I also think that it's the mid, middle happy place between the G Cloud, which is a cloud-only gaming device from Logitech, and the Steam Deck, which is mostly a local gaming device. So it balances performance on the on local device with the ability to stream off the cloud to access even higher performance, higher quality gaming experiences. Now, that all said, I think this could be a better form factor device. I think the problem is basically a tablet with a controller attached to it. So a lot of people are going to be like, why don't I just buy a phone and attach a controller to that? Right. And they're right in that sense, because this is just like a bigger tablet with a bigger bezel and it's really not that compact. So I think they're making a mistake in doing this kind of tablet with attached controller on it. They should be doing a full-blown handheld gaming device that has optimized battery and weight and cooling that and, and radio to make it a more tailored experience. And I think that's the one thing I think Verizon's missed here, Verizon, but Razer's missed here. Yeah. But we'll see. I haven't had a chance to actually review the device. I'm hoping to get one in hand test, but I've had some time with it. And those are my quick thoughts on it and what it enables. Razer has a heck of a brand when it comes to gaming, right? They do a lot of PC gaming peripherals as well. And this yeah. might just be their first iteration, but let me comment on the Verizon pricing. Who came up with 30 bucks a month, man? That I think that's going to limit adoption, especially to your point, as Verizon continues to work on building out its network. And certainly a millimeter wave is going to provide pretty decent performance, but it's not available everywhere. Um, and so that actually, think, yeah, that actually kind of teased me up for the second half of this topic, which is they just admitted that their projections for 2022 were misguided, yeah, and that their expectations for growth were pretty off. They said that they had revenue are expecting revenue growth between two and a half and four and a half percent for this year, which is significantly below the eight and a half percent that they were quoting during their analyst day last year. So they're really struggling on growth, and thirty dollars a month is not going to help. I don't think. And I think the way their strategy is, I'm not really sure I agree with Hans Vesselberg's decision to stay the course on their strategy and to do targeted promotions as opposed to lowering pricing. But that also means that I think they believe that this strategy will work out in the long term and that and they shouldn't be lowering their prices to be competitive with AT&T and T-Mobile. I just think that even to their own claims, they're not really going to see things turn around until Q4, which I think is accurate. I think Q4 will probably be, be the beginning of Verizon's turnaround. It also happens to be when more spectrum is available for their competitors. So I'm not sure how much of a turnaround they're going to see, but I think their coverage will be much better and they'll actually start to be able to sell, I think, edge services and a lot of other 5G capabilities. 
Yeah, I agree. As well as drive their FWA growth because the performance has been pretty lackluster with their initial rollout. But let's move to my second topic this week. And I want to talk about Nokia. They ended last year on a high note. They reported earnings this week. And I guess the million dollar question is, is new leadership turning the company around? CEO Pekka Lund, Lundmark joined in 2020, and he's been very focused on business operation, consolidation, and that sort of thing. And so just at a high level, um, the results basically indicate a, a sales increase of 16% year over year in the final quarter of 2022. It's about $8.1 and they had growth across all of their business units. And there's also news this week about growth in their private wireless business. Not huge. I believe it was on the magnitude of 4 to 5%, but in comparison to Ericsson's 1 to 2%. Again, I've spoken about Nokia in the past and private wireless. They have been the established leader, but we are starting to see Ericsson close the gap there. But all in all, it seems like their new CEO is implementing the right things, the right strategies to to turn the company around. What do you think? I agree. I think this is more of a validation of their focus. Yeah. And I think the timing is good too. I think they, they planned for private networks to take off and they are starting to. And I think this year will be probably huge for them because private networks are only going to become a bigger thing as network slicing becomes a standard feature in all the networks right. and combining that public network with the private network will make private networks more valuable, I think. And I also think that this teed them up for their um, their partnership or their multi-year 5G patent agreement that they signed with Samsung. I think there will be long-term revenues for those patents as well, because I think Samsung is licensing them from Nokia. Yeah. So I think overall, I think Nokia is doing a lot of things right. And I think they've had a rough couple of years, but I think they've right-sized their business and focused on the right places and it started to pay dividends. But I also think that they can't really take their foot off the gas because they have people chasing them. I agree. I agree. It's also worth mentioning that Nokia is in the optical business as well. And they reported solid earnings there as well. So again, solid earnings across all of their business units. So yeah, it'll be interesting and fun to see how things play out for Nokia as we move through Mobile World Congress. And I'm sure we'll have a podcast. You and a post. That. Yeah. And a post as well. Maybe but, if we uh, have time, we can do one on site. Yeah, we should try to do that for sure. But let's move to your second topic. And you want to talk about ESA expansion. But before you go there, it might be helpful for our viewers and listeners to understand what the ESA is. So the ESA is the European Space Agency. It's basically like NASA, but for the European Union. Yeah. And ESA has does a lot of really cool stuff. They do a lot of the similar things that NASA does. They do forecasting for the environment. They do help with weather satellites. They do space exploration. They build a spacecraft or co-develop co spacecraft. So they're very important to the world space community. Yeah. And they themselves have announced that they're expanding their 5G and 6G hub, which is based in the UK. And they are doing this project as a consortium between satellite operators, Utelsat and OneWeb, as well as mobile network operator Vodafone. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of companies involved that are already helping build this this hub and they said that this hub will um power a bunch of capabilities it's going to be a, it's already a demonstration room a technical lab and a private high capacity integrated network but there's also other capabilities they're going to have enhanced satellite services edge computing multi-network and multi-orbit orchestration and improved 
ease of use as part of how they use this hub. So it yeah. seems like it's going to be like a good test hub for them to move forward, combining satellite technologies with 5G and 6G, which we're starting to see happen. So yeah. I think that's just a good thing. Um, it is also partially backed by the UK Space Agency because it is located in the UK. It's mm-hmm. funny because the UK is no longer part of the European mm-hmm. Union, but the ESA, I don't think is necessarily part of the European Union. I think they're, they might be partly funded by it, but I don't think they're wholly funded by the European Union. That's the deal. It'll be interesting to see what kind of innovations come out of there because companies like Talis are also based in the UK and could participate in this as well. But yeah, it's interesting and it's becoming a more and more interesting and important component of 5G. I totally agree. And this is a super innovative approach from my perspective. When you look at the United States, really NASA has taken a back seat. And when you look at just like the space program, it's been SpaceX, right? And you don't see as much sort of coordination with NASA like you're seeing with ESA. And this could signal a shift in leadership across the pond here with respect to your point integrating satellite, low earth orbit satellite communications in, into possibly the backhaul to support a lot of rural deployments of not only LTE, but 5G. I will just add that the way Europeans operate, especially when you like look at the ESA, they see it much more of a public good and a public necessity. And funding for that is a little bit easier to get than it is in the US. Yeah. Also the ESA arguably has better and more accurate weather modeling than the US does. So usually when people look at the European space model for weather and they look at the U.S. space model, the European model is more advanced and more granular. So Mm -hmm. I think they might already have an advantage in that area. And they they might just keep moving forward because they see it as a necessity for moving the industry forward and helping the European economy move forward. Yeah, no, it makes total sense, total sense. So let's go to my third and final topic this week. And you actually brought this to my attention. NIST has joined the ORAN Alliance. And so the question that came to my mind was, what could this mean for future 5G deployments? Explain to our readers and listeners what NIST is. Yeah, NIST is the National Institute of Standards and Technology. And what NIST is focused on is really promoting stable and diverse supply chains which has been part of the push around ORAN. It's yep. uh, it's disaggregating the RAN and it's bringing new entrants in. It's disrupting the CapEx and OpEx opportunity for operators. But NIST is also heavily involved in ensuring data privacy and cybersecurity. Yep. And this has been one of the criticisms that I've had of OpenRAN. When you look at Open, the OpenRAN Policy Coalition, when you look at the ORAN Alliance, and you look at the underlying working groups within those organizations, there's been very shallow focus on security. And so that's been one of my biggest concerns. So with NIST joining the ORAN Alliance, I think what that means is better hardening of future deployments. Now, certainly 5G new radio, one of its superpowers is improvements in encryption over LTE, but more has got to be done because bad actors continue to be more sophisticated. I cover this. I also manage the security practice for more insights and strategy. And it just amazes me at how sophisticated these bad actors are getting in, in these cyber attacks, nation state attacks, and that sort of thing. So I think this is really good news for Open RAN in general. And I know that I'm the infrastructure guy, you're the device guy, but any additional color you want to add before we move to your third and final? Yeah, I think this is a big deal because NIST, first of all, has funded a lot of the 5G security white papers that the U.S. government has come out. 
Right. with So I think they're definitely um, acutely aware of what the security concerns around are around 5G networks. And I think that they are part of the reason why the U.S. government has pushed so hard on stuff like Open RAN. So I think this is something that I NIST wanted to happen and I think was going to eventually happen. But I think they were waiting for ORAN to get more momentum yeah. and become something that really has val validity in it. And as a result, I think they're now, they're helping validate it even further by joining. And I think they're going to help drive a lot of the security discussions around what will be part of the standard and how it will be implemented in software and in hardware. Yeah. And I think they are they have all kinds of capabilities that I think other companies wish they could have. And I think they have access to resources that other companies don't have. So I think them being a part of this is a big deal. I don't know if you read the press release on their website, but they were talking about promoting stable and diverse supply chains, yeah. which are a priority for this administration. And they said that NIST will also promote open and transparent standards for 5G and yeah. other next generation wireless technology. So this isn't just about 5G. This is yeah. also about setting up 6G for OpenRAN and ORAN. And I think that's really think something to think about as well. So this is yeah. definitely not a short-term thing and it's going to be a big deal. And I think it's a bigger deal than people realize. Yeah, I know. That's a great observation around next generation as well. It's interesting. NIST has been operating its own testing and, and proof of concept labs. Yep. But I think joining the ORAN Alliance just furthers not only the, the integrity of the security behind OpenRAN, but also the reason why the ORAN Alliance was formed was to ensure standardization so this stuff can get deployed more efficiently, less costly, that sort of thing. So I think it's a win-win to have NIST join. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that and what we can share on future podcasts. But let's move to your third and final topic this week. You want to talk about Samsung and a company that I've been a little critical of in the past, GoGo. <laughs> yeah, GoGo has been trying to launch a 5G network for airplanes to have in-flight Wi-Fi. And this is a terrestrial network. So that means that it's actually on the belly of the plane as opposed to the top, which is satellite. Right. And this is this new service is dependent on a Samsung 5G chip, which is obviously just like a 5G modem. And they were having some issues where they first production run had issues. And as a result, they had to do a respin of the silicon. So now they are basically passing the review to, to get this in mass production. So they're starting to mass produce the chips and there are expectations that this network will be in operation in the fourth quarter of this year. The network itself is already in place. So this is really about building the equipment. I believe the equipment that the modem is inside is called the, it's the X3 5G line of replaceable units, LRUs. Okay. Um, so they're, you know, they're going to have to pass some FAA regulations and third-party validation. But basically these 5G modems will connect to the towers that are already in place and be operational in the fourth quarter. They're expected to do average of 25 megabits per second with peaks in the 75 to 80 megabit range and allow for, streaming of data at low latency. This might actually be the first in-flight Wi-Fi that has latency under 100 milliseconds. And uh, you could actually use it for potential video calling, things like that, which is pretty much impossible 
on a plane today, but I'm not really sure if I want people video calling while I'm flying. No. The big use case, in my opinion, is probably just streaming content. But overall, it seems like a good thing for GoGo and their investment in the 5G network. They also said that they plan to expand their 5G network into Canada this year as well. It's a Samsung announcement, but it's also a Google announcement. And in-flight Wi-Fi is also one of those things that has been the bane of a lot of people's existence. And I'm hoping that this new 5G network will improve that. I hope so too, because it's it's oftentimes unusable on flight. I'm looking forward to having 5G on flights like you and I will be taking soon to Barcelona. But my friend, it's been another great podcast. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Whale Town Tech, and I'm at Anshel Sag. We hope you have a great week, and please tune in again next week.